Today's scripture reading is Matthew 24, verses 35 through 44. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will, no, will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, also, so also were the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at a meal, one will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I am thankful and humbled to be here this morning. Maybe not. Doesn't matter. I have a loud enough voice. I will let you hear me. We're going to be looking at verses 14 and 15 this morning. Jude, who was the brother of James, uh, both men were the half-brothers of the Lord, set out to write this epistle because he wanted to share their common faith, but he was forced to change his approach to the letter, and uh, he exhorted them in the third verse to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And the reason why he was compelled to change his message is found in verse 4. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on into a discussion about these false teachers, and he mentions uh, uh, several... Um, I'm searching for a word here, uh, infamous, <laughs> infamous people and, and bodies of people, those of Sodom and Gomorrah and the angels that, that sinned, those that left their, their proper domain. And, <clears throat> and he goes on, and in verse 14, he mentions Enoch. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment 
on all to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Who was this Enoch? Most of us understand who Enoch was. If you're a member of the church and you've been here any time at all, if you grew up in the church, you you grew up hearing stories of this man who didn't die, that God, that he walked with God and God took him. Well, he's mentioned uh, only four times in the Bible. He's mentioned here in Jude 14. He's mentioned in Hebrews 11 and verse 5. We'll look at that here in a moment. I'll let you look up Luke 3 verse 37 where he's mentioned in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus. And then, of course, in Genesis chapter 5, in verses 18 through 24, he is mentioned first for the first time. And he was one of two men who never tasted death, who never saw death. And Elijah was uh, the other. And it's, it's worthy to note Elijah's uh, taking up into heaven. If you would turn to 2 Kings chapter 2. In verses 9 through 12, now Elijah was grooming Elisha uh, to take his place, Elisha the prophet. Uh, Elijah, this rough, burly prophet uh, who told it like it was, was going to leave the world and he knew it. And he was training Elisha to take his place. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what you may do for you, or what I may do for you, before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, You have uh, asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire, and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces. And so this is the second account of... uh, one of two men who never tasted death. In Hebrews 11, let's turn there if you would. This is where he is mentioned as well. Hebrews 11, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was taken away uh, so that he did not see death and was not found, it says in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. Because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And then the seventh from Adam is first mentioned in Genesis chapter 5, if you would turn there. And beginning in verse 18, the Bible says that Jared lived 100 and 62 years and begot Enoch. Jared was the father of Enoch. After he begot Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. This was the time when 
when mankind lived almost a century uh, before, uh, uh, before the flood. Uh, so all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And I heard one preacher say one time that Enoch had walked with God for so long that he was closer to God's house than he was to his own house, and so God just took him home with him. I thought that was a cute way to put it. But uh, one of two men, that doesn't show up very well, one of two men that, that did not taste death. Anybody see that? I put that on there. I, this is a, a chart I put together several years ago, and I know, I know that you guys pour over these genealogies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 10 just like I do. Uh, most people don't. And, and by the way, this hopefully is not one of those endless genealogies we spoke about this morning in class. But I put this together as I was uh, working on a sermon or a study in Romans and in chapter 1 and, and Paul said there that the Gentiles whom he was speaking about, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, but their hearts became futile. And he goes on and he talks about these people that at one time they knew God, and he said, so they had no excuse. I believe that's in the 20th, 20th verse, Romans chapter 1. And so what I wanted to do with this chart, if you will, you'll notice that Adam died uh, 930 years of age, but notice who was alive when he was still on earth. Lamech, the grandson of Enoch, the father of Noah, and this was a very, whoops, uh-oh, I did it now. I touched that button I was told never to touch. <laughs> Almost did. This was, a, this was a very evil time. I think we all understand that. that the time that Noah, God told Noah, build the ark, that he was going to destroy the world. And so um, the point that I want to make from this, if, if you turn back to Genesis, look at chapter 4. Cain was possibly still living. And why do I say that? Because if you look at this chart and if you do the math, Seth, the son that was, uh, here I go again, the son who was after Abel, he was around, he was 55 uh, years old, I think, if I did the math right when Enoch was born. Cain very possibly would be born, would have been alive at this time. And if you look at the fourth chapter of Genesis, you'll find that the seventh 
generation from Cain was a man by the name of Lamech in verse 19 of Genesis 4. And this is the first time we hear of someone having uh, two wives. And you can go on, and this same man uh, uh, was a murderer, took the life again of another man. And so uh, this was an evil time. Methuselah, the oldest man in the world, if you look at that chart, if you do the math, uh, was 57 years old when Adam died. He died the same year of the flood, Methuselah. He may have very well died in the flood. This was the grandson of Enoch, or the, excuse me, the son of Enoch. May have died in the flood. A hundred and twenty years before the flood, Genesis chapter 6, the Bible says in verse 5, that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had created man on the earth and he said he was grieved in his heart and he said I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast creeping thing and birds of the air for I am sorry that I have made them this event took place 669 years after Enoch prophesied uh, what Jude mentions and why is this important? The point that I want to make from all this. Some or all of Enoch's children, his sons, his daughters, very well may have died in the flood. Because as you know, only eight souls survived that, the, the direct family of Noah. Only eight souls survived, and yet it is said that Enoch walked with God. And I say all that because in the 71 years that I've lived on this earth, I have never seen the morality of our country go so far deep into depravity in the last two years than I have in my entire life. And I was a child of the 60s, of free love, men burning their draft cards while women burned their bras. Dope was flowing in the streets. It was a very turbulent time with Kent State and, and the, the lawlessness that was going on, but surely you would agree with me that this has really been a bad two years. For this country. Enoch walked with God. What does this mean? Well, perhaps Hebrews 11 and verse 5, and we've read it, but we're going to read it again. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him, for before he was taken, 
he had this testimony that he pleased God. Now, can we infer that pleasing God, right here in Hebrews 11 and verse 5, could be the same as walking with God in Genesis chapter 5? Could we say that? That it's the exact same thing? I, I think it is, but I'm asked the question. I'll give it to you. And that walking by faith, by faith, Enoch was taken away. And walking by faith would be the same as walking with God. Well, I think we could all agree upon that. Well, how did Enoch please God? How did he walk with God? How uh, did he walk by faith? Is there anyone else in the Bible where it says that they walked with God? Well, it just so happens that there is. If you'll turn back to Genesis, and in chapter 6, the Bible says, in Genesis chapter 6 and in verse 22, that, uh, or excuse me, Verse 9, let's look at verse 9 first. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations. He wasn't a perfect, sinless man, but he was, he was a good, godly man, perfect in his generations. Noah walked with God. Now, how did Noah walk with God? Well, we all know the story. God said he was going to destroy the world. He commanded to Noah to build an ark. He gave him the dimensions. He gave him a, a, a specific list of items to use in making of this ark. And if you look at the 22nd verse, thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. And so for Noah to walk with God, it means that he did everything that God commanded him. It was said of Abraham in Genesis chapter 17 and in verse 1, walk before me. Well, did he do that? Did Abram, Abraham, after later he was called, did he do that? God told him, God told Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and in verse 1, get out of your country from your family. And then we read on down in verse 4, So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed. And we go on in the 15th chapter in verse 6, and speaking of Abraham, and he believed God, uh, or believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. And as we get into the latter part of Abraham's life in the 22nd, chapter of Genesis we read in verse 1 it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him Abraham and he said here I am then he said take now your son your only son Isaac to whom you love and go to a land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you Abraham obeyed he loaded his donkey with the wood and, and uh, took off with his son Isaac to this mount, it ended up being Mount Moriah, and made an altar and laid his son on the altar and took his knife 
and was ready to slay his son for this burnt offering. And we read in verse 10, And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, Here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so, to answer the question, how did these men walk with God, the simple answer is, they obeyed his commandments. And if we'll turn back to Hebrews and in chapter 11, and I want to notice how that, that Enoch was in very good company. We read in verse 4, by faith, Hebrews 11 and verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his, of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. If he offered by faith, and if faith comes by hearing the word of God, as it does, according to Romans 10, verse 17, then we know that God told Abel what to offer. And so he, he did exactly as the Lord had asked him to do. By faith, Enoch was taken away, in verse 5. Uh, verse 7, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet Seen moved with godly fear. He built an ark for the saving of, his, of himself and his family. In verse uh, 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he would go. And so Enoch was in good company uh, with these other men. And why does this matter? Why does this matter? Because Enoch prophesied, Behold, the Lord is coming with 10,000 of his saints. Jude 14. Now, is he talking about the flood of Noah's day? Enoch is, that is. Did, did he prophesy about the flood 669 years after he was translated? taken into heaven. I, I personally don't think that he was. I think, I think this prophecy goes a little bit further. If you'll, uh, you'll notice the, the 2 Peter chapter 3, if you'll turn there, the scripture reading uh, this, this morning uh, from Matthew chapter 24, Jesus himself, and I believe Jesus was, was talking about his second coming in verses 35 down through verse 44, Matthew 24, I know there's some brethren who would argue with me or disagree and we'd have a discussion, not argue, uh, that Jesus was still talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. I think it was changed, the tone was changed in verse 35. Heaven and earth will pass away. Talking about the end of time. But my word will by no means pass away. And then we have here in 2 Peter in chapter 3, Peter brings up Noah and the flood. And in verse 3, he says, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, 
All things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this, this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until that judgment, that day of judgment. He goes on in verse 10, but the day of the Lord, and he's talking about the end of time, although he used Noah's flood as an illustration, as Jesus himself did as well, but the day of the Lord, verse 10, will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It's going to be an awesome day, brethren. It's going to be a terrible day, some. It's going to be a wonderful day for God's children. Also, these two men who did not taste death perhaps were foreshadowing a type of the brethren that are going to be alive when Jesus comes again. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, one of those passages that teach us the things that are going to happen when Jesus comes again. I really don't have enough information on this, but I, I've got what the Holy Spirit gave us, and I've got to be content with that. Now, there were some who were worried about their, their loved ones. Uh, some had been teaching that the resurrection had already come. We got into that in our study. Hymenaeus and Philetus were, were of that sort. But uh, I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Verse 13, Paul says to these, to these brethren of his, concerning those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep or precede those who have died. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. I think this is the day that he's talking about. And perhaps Elijah's exit from this earth also tells us something of the Lord's final return. It's going to be a wonderful time. For some, for few, but it's going to be a terrible time for others. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 7. This is the same day. This is when the Lord comes again. There is, because there's a, a separation in the epistles, doesn't mean anything. This is a, Paul's dealing with the same day. Remember, Jesus said in John chapter 5 that there will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust, didn't he? All mankind is going to be resurrected. 
Verse 6, since it's a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This is not annihilation. This is a sense of always dying but never really dying. It is a lack of uh, well-being. Not a lack, not a lack of being, but a lack of well-being. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints, he will be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, pray always. We pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness in the work of faith with power. How can we please God? This is a pretty simple sermon. Well, I tried to make it simple. Uh, how can we please God? How do we walk with God? Well, Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for those who would come to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently Seek him, and I underline in my Bible that word diligently. God never has thought too much of, of half-hearted seekers or half-hearted Christians. He never has thought too much of them. They made Jesus sick to his stomach. If you read Revelation uh, chapter 3 and beginning in verse 15, the church in Laodicea. So... Uh, Jesus himself said, if you believe in God, believe also in me, John 14 and verse 1. Prior to that, in John 8 and in verse 24, he said, unless you believe, lest you believe that I am he, that is the Messiah, the prophet to come, lest you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And surely we know what that's all about, dying in our sins. We read about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 uh, through 11. He said again in John 12, and I believe it's verse 48, that uh, the words that I have spoken, these will be what judges you in the last day. The words that I have spoken will judge you in the last day. Make a life-altering change. Please turn to 2 Corinthians in chapter 5. Paul quotes an Old Testament prophet that said, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 7. I want to look at the context of that quotation by Paul. In verse 8, the next verse, he says, We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, 
whether good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. And he goes on, on down into verse uh, 14. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. This is the commitment that we have made to our Lord, our Lord and our God, Jesus the Christ, to live for him. Therefore, from now on, verse 16, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old King James said, a new creature. You're a new being. Old things. Um, have passed away, that old man we've killed. Behold, all things have become new. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul describes this process. He warns, do not be uh, conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed is, is like, uh, it's where we get the word, the Greek from that word is what we get, where we get the word metamorphosis. A drastic change. It's like a caterpillar, a worm that turns into a beautiful butterfly. That's this transformation that we make as we come out of this world and start living for Christ. Or at least that's the way it's supposed to be. Don't be afraid to confess him. Philippians chapter 2 is... A beautiful passage. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and he tells us how to think. But he goes on, he finishes this thought in verse 9. Therefore God also, speaking of Jesus, Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore God also has highly exalted him, and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is, does not happen. Not every tongue in the world will confess that Jesus is the Christ. But they will. As everyone stands before their Lord at judgment, we will see him. Even the ones that pierced him will see him. We will know who he is. We will bow down to him, bow the knee, and we will confess him as God's Christ. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 10 and in verse 30, I believe through 32, that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father who is in heaven. Believe that baptism also now saves us. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. And I want to read this passage. Um, Again, Peter brings up the flood of Noah's day. 
<clears throat> verse 19, by whom, 1 Peter 3, verse 19, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism. It's not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have to believe that. There's no magic in the water. It's not even a good bath. It, it has nothing to do with the removal of the filth of the flesh. It has everything to do with a good conscience. How's that? Well, because we believe that God, that Jesus commanded it, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them. This is a command. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus commanded it. When I obey a command, I'm going to feel good. Wow, I did what Jesus told me to do. Whether I understand how all that works or not is, a, is really not important. And when we got into it in Romans chapter 6 two weeks ago, the significance of baptism, dying to sin, dying with Christ, being buried with Christ, being raised out of the, the watery grave, along with Christ who raised from the dead, the significance of being in the death, burial, and resurrection. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. The significance of that. Have you stopped walking with God? Did you start out good, but then you've been messing up? I want to notice what Peter says about those who never come out of it. 2 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to back up in verse 18. Peter's talking basically about the same thing that Jude was talking about. 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude are very similar, if you'd want to study those. And he's talking about these false teachers. For when they speak great swelling words of emptiness, verse 18, they uh, allure through the lusts of the flesh, through lewdness, the ones who have actually escaped from those who live in error. While they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, and by him also he is brought into bondage. This is, this is the, the danger of false teachers creeping in unaware. We don't know who they are. They claim to be teachers of God. They claim to be godly men, and, and we don't know it. And they, they slide in, and they start corrupting from within. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. But it has happened to them according to the true proverb. A dog returns to his own vomit, and a sow having washed to her wallowing 
in the mire. What a pathetic sight. This is the picture of those who have once accepted Christ and have quit walking. They've quit walking in the light. They've quit walking with God. They've quit pleasing God. This does not have to be. Does not have to be. Now, we as Christians can take care of this. In 1 John in chapter 1, and in verse 7, if we, uh, verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the truth is not in us. If we will confess our sins, talking to Christians, he is righteous and just to forgive us of our sins and to absolve us from all unrighteousness, cleanse us from all um, unrighteousness. And I want to finish with James in chapter 5. James gives us a command. We can get to heaven. It's not beyond our reach. We can help one another get there. This is what is so marvelous about the local congregation, that we're not only a, a help group to encourage one another, but we can pray for one another. If there's sickness, we can pray that it be uh, made well again. And we leave it in the Lord's hands, and we know he hears us, and, and, and we ask in his will if this would be done. But here we have a command in verse 15 of James 5. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another, and this should be done Daily anyway. Don't you think that'd be a good idea that we pray for one another in this congregation? You pray for one another? Pray that, that sins would be forgiven that as, as they repent of them. Pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah, that second man who never died, was such a man. Just as we are, with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain for three years and six months, and he prayed again, and it rained. He was a man just like we are, a human being. Uh, He had his problems, just like Abraham had his problems. Noah had his problems. We all do. We can walk by faith. Do you believe all this? Do you understand all of it? I tried to keep it simple. If you don't believe it, if you don't understand it, I would love to be able to sit down with whoever would like and we can talk about it. And we can open our books, our Bibles, and we can study it. And we can come to a a common agreement on what the Bible says. Do you believe all this? And you haven't made up your mind yet about obeying the gospel. I'll say, ask the same thing. Why not? 
What are you waiting for? We're not promised tomorrow. The Lord may come again. Do you believe all this and, and you're still, you've stopped walking with God? Again, why? Why have you done that? There's nothing I can say that you haven't already heard. You've obeyed the gospel once. There's nothing else left. The blessed gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't change. The Lord died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and he rose again according to the scriptures. And he sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. If you need to get right with God, do it. Do it today. Do it now. We can help. There's water available for baptism. Our prayers are just right there. Just waiting to come out. Will you stand and we'll sing a, a closing hymn. But come if, if, if you have a need.